New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. We at New Dimensions thank you for your support. It is only through a change in human consciousness that the world will be transformed. The personal and the planetary are connected. As we expand our awareness of mind, body, psyche, and spirit, and bring that awareness actively into the world, so also will the world be changed. This is our quest as we explore new dimensions. I want to begin with acknowledging the first peoples of the land in which I live, the Pomo, Wapo, and Miwok. America's racial karma is not a concept, but a living reality. And no one is likely to be magically exempt from a lifetime of the manifestation of racialized consciousness in this system as white supremacy weaves its deadly pattern through human history over the course of 500 years of social psychology. This includes all of us, white peoples, as well as blacks, Asian, native first peoples, and Hispanic persons. Racialized consciousness is not an intractable condition, but a legacy of human thought, speech, and physical behaviors. The good news is we can transform our collective karma. This moment in social history compels us to invite ourselves into a path of discovery, learning, and practices to transform that collective karma. Our guest today, Dr. Larry Ward, says to overcome injustice, we must not lose our centeredness, our spiritual resilience, and most importantly, we must not lose our capacity to respond with wisdom, compassion, and action in creating a new world. The assassination of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was the catalyst that sparked Dr. Larry Ward's journey into a life of planetary peacemaking. He's been subjected to racial profiling and has experienced a bombing in his home in Idaho. He was able to move past these traumas when his path led him to the introduction of Buddhist practice in Calcutta in 1977. Then when he met Zen master Thich Nhat Hanh in 1991, the practice of Buddhism became truly central to his life. He was ordained as a Dharma teacher in Plum Village in 2000 and is the co-founder of the Lotus Institute, which offers Buddhist practice for change makers on the journey of individual and collective liberation. Dr. Ward is the author of America's Racial Karma, 
an invitation to heal. Join us for the next hour as we explore America's struggle with racism and an invitation to healing both individually and collectively with our guest, Dr. Larry Ward. I'm speaking with Dr. Ward from his home by remote connection. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. I'll be your host. Welcome to New Dimensions. Dr. Ward, welcome. Thank you, Justine. I, may I call you Larry? Certainly. Oh, thank you so much. I'd love to begin with the question about race, the social construct of race. And can you elaborate on the hierarchies and that there is no such thing really as biologically as race? Sure. Well, there's lots of wonderful things written uh, deconstructing the concept of race or explaining it as a social construct. And uh, this began a very long time ago uh, in the mind of uh, scientists um, who were categorizing species. And uh, the categorization of species of plants and animals and the naming of them and their qualities somehow got extended into doing the same thing with human beings. And that hierarchy that was produced, which is referred to in my book, um, really is a ladder, is one way of looking at it. It is a structure of worthiness of a life. And uh, at the bottom, of course, is uh, indigenous peoples, and next is black people, and then next is mixed people, next is Asians, next to you work your way up to Europeans. And that story um, is so well embedded over the last 500 years in all of us, it is like a prison we haven't learned to open the door and walk out of. Well, yes, uh, and we've been living with it uh, for a long time now, maybe even going back to tribal days. But when I did the opening, I use the word, which is one of your words, is racialized consciousness. And when we talk about that, no one is exempt. And I'd like to say, have you say something about the idea when people say, especially white people will say, oh, I'm not racist. Um, some of my friends are black or they give these excuses or even even I will have to admit, Larry, that for myself, uh, before I really delve deeply into my soul about my own racialized consciousness, uh, I would say, oh, well, I'm not racist because I taught in an all-Black school in Sylacauga, Alabama, when Dr. Martin Luther King was assassinated and George Wallace was running for president. So that just proves I'm not racist. But in recent times, as I've looked at the literature that's come out and like your book that really 
invites us to a deeper, deeper dive into our own consciousness. Um, so I, I would like for you to respond to that thought of people, their automatic reaction. I am not racist. Okay, well, there's a couple of, uh, like most things, there's a couple of layers to this, or there's somewhat of a matrix to this uh, underneath the comment. Uh, first of all, there is um, systemic racism. That is systems designed to perpetuate the hierarchy that we just talked about. Um, and secondly, um, systems become in our bodies neurological patterns and thought patterns and choice patterns. We develop habits around our rationalized conditioning, whether we are conscious of it or not. Now, a racist, uh, a lot of people use that word, but I don't particularly use that word. What I, what I mean by that statement is the question I have as an African-American is, are we willing we are invited to dismantle the systems that perpetuate that profound misperception of what it means to be human. And uh, if I was going to use the word racist, it would be for anyone who, um, who still is disconnected from their own bodies enough not to experience the pain of that systemic conditioning that lives with us every day and in every moment. And if you've grown up separated as we have by race in particular, by class also, then we don't really have a quality of intimacy to understand one another. So for me, that begins why uh, coming back to ourselves, our own bodies, our own minds, because um, there's some of the things we can only work out within ourselves. And if we don't work it out within ourselves, when we gather in the collective, we get to meet how it's not worked out. We lose hope and we give up our confidence on what we really understand it means to be a deep human being. So you mentioned the body-mind. So it's not just a, a psychological construct. It, it actually is something you're, you're suggesting. And I know that you have done a lot of neurological research about trauma, that it actually is living in the cells of our body. It's somatic, so to speak. It's not just an intellectual thing. Yes, and it's not just that that lives in our body. Everything lives in our body. Our society, its conditions, its judgments, its values, our own personal experiences, our family, where we grew up, when we grew up, all of these experiences um, take place and impact our nervous systems as well as our thought processes. 
So there is no way in my mind to move forward unless we're willing to do not only deep spiritual work, but also to do it in a way that's body centered and actually helps us deactivate our nervous systems to a level or activate our nervous systems higher up so that we become capable of having an intelligent conversation to move forward. So when we meet one another, I'm thinking of the idea that we really meet as strangers. We're not living in, even though we know that we are all, everything is interconnected. It's, it's all interconnected, but yet we live in these separate silos of, of our own making that cause us to react to one another in a way that might not support the collectively of our humanity. I want to talk more about that in in just one moment, but I want to remind our listeners that I'm here with Dr. Larry Ward, and he is a ordained Dharma teacher of Buddhism, and he is the founder of the Lotus Institute, and also he is the author of the book, America's Racial Karma, An Invitation to Heal. And that's what we're talking about today, about healing this uh, karma that, uh, and, and we'll talk about what karma means in just one moment. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. I'm here with Dr. Larry Ward. He's the author of America's Racial Karma, An Invitation to Heal. And if you want to know more about his work, you can go to his website, thelotusinstitute.org, O-R-G, thelotusinstitute.org. Or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. Larry, in the book, the title of the book, you use the word karma and racial karma. So let's just talk just a moment about what you mean by karma. Okay, that's a wonderful question, especially since in today's world, uh, karma is used as a marketing term. <laughs> Dog food, restaurants, et cetera, which is 
fine. But uh, what I mean by karma is a pattern that repeats itself. And that is very consistent with the uh, Buddhist understanding. And, and when I studied uh, for my doctorate research, the brain and, and how it works and how it's impacted by human activities individually and collectively, um, the key takeaway for me was that every action, not just about race, every thought, not just about race, about anything and every behavior, or even our speech activates neurons in our brain. And the more often we use that speech, the more often we do that action, the more often we have those thoughts, it creates clusters of connection in our brain. And so karma is not just historical, it is also deeply personal because we are conditioning ourselves for how to live as human beings. It's not simply external, it's deeply internal. And so the healing work that has to be done before the transformation work can be completed is coming to recognize our own body, recognize our own nervous system. Few words can activate our nervous system more than the word race. It's just astounding. We can use all kinds of words, but that 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 is a clear indication of how uh, we have become frozen in our nervous system and can't talk about it, speak about it with care and thought and kindness and vision. Um, we become immobilized around it, or we get really reactive and we run away from it. Uh, or we start fighting against it. And we see all those responses being played out in the world today, especially here. Well, especially in the Western world, but also all over the world, depending on whatever category you like to use. In your work, you talk about the karmic wheel and you talk about the five manifestations of it. This karmic wheel, as you've just spoken about, it's a lived expression of human thought, speech, and physical behaviors. If you would elucidate the five awarenesses of the karmic wheel. Well, I'm looking for my simple picture so I stay in the book, because I keep learning. Um, about things, of course. So the first uh, piece of the wheel is intention. One of the things uh, the Buddha is uh, attributed to having said is that in terms of karma, our intention is everything. And our intention uh, or our motivation is the word I like to also use, is everything in creating our speech, our action, and our thoughts. And if we live in a culture that's been conditioned by simply reactivity and a culture conditioned deeply by uh, systemic patterns of injustice, we have to first have a different intent uh, or that pattern will continue. So we have to be aware of our intent then, uh, that we're not just on automatic pilot, right? Exactly. The second piece of that intention, every intention, 
that intention gets manifest. It takes some form. That energy, that thought takes some form in the world through speech, through thought, and through physical behavior, all of which, you know, I grew up in the civil rights uh, period, and it's easy to identify uh, these manifestations that we still see today. Um, and secondly, as things get manifested, they also communicate to others. That's the language of transmission, which is a, a you know both mechanical and a Buddhist term, actually. But take example, what happened with our most recent presidential election? And what I mean is the manifestation people have created around uh, who won activated other people to ask the same question. Same we can see with patterns in the vaccine response that uh, there are people who say this doesn't work, it is not safe, et cetera, et cetera. And then other people get their seeds in Buddhist language, get their own impressions watered, nourished. Uh, and so that creates uh, a fragrance in the air of society of suspicion and doubt and uncertainty. Yeah, please. Right now, uh, in where we're going into midsummer of 2021, that is is still so very alive in our culture. It's it's this this great polarity and great divide because of these, as you say, these seeds that live that are being nourished in right. our in our mind and body. So there are these in the manifestation part. I know that you talk about these wholesome seeds and then these unwholesome seeds and it's kind of like that old story of which wolf in your heart you want to nourish and exactly. feed so uh can, can you say something more about those seeds well um yes so the first thing about seeds as a metaphor kind of an organic metaphor which i appreciate it refers to impressions, impulses, tendencies that exist in the deep psyche of human beings. And those seeds come from our parents. Those seeds come from our personal experiences. Those seeds get created and developed by the society and culture and neighborhood and communities uh, in which we live. Uh, the other thing about the, those seeds that are important to remember is that those seeds of every human being are within each one of us. And uh, I remember a question once to Thich Nhat Hanh about did he did he experience discomfort or pain or or suffering. And the answer was, of course, I have those seeds in me, but I have practiced for many years to know how to relate to those seeds so they don't grow into a giant tree. And our racialized consciousness has grown into a giant tree, especially here in America. 
and uh, or a giant rock or a, a giant ocean that we can't seem to cross. Yes, yes. So, so they're they're living within us, and again, it goes back to that awareness. And I, I want to get into that practice of deep awareness. But first, I know that there are three others: transmission, retribution, and continuation. And and you mentioned a, a little bit about uh, transmission because you also acknowledge, and I, I love this acknowledgement that you give to our nonverbal transmission. I mean that we are we are transmitting all the time to one exactly. another. Exactly. Would you like to say something about that? Well, the nature of the human nervous system. Um, is it is uh, operating 24 hours a day, seven days a week, searching for safety, welcome, nourishment, growth, and development. And because this is present in all of us, if we don't approach our own nervous systems with skillfulness, um, we can become predatory in our relationship to others and to even ourselves, to the land, to the water, to the mountains, because we become, we have this sense of being separate, so separate from everything else that exists, which is how we've been conditioned. Uh, we've been conditioned to think of life and the world as pieces of things, uh, as nouns. And, you know, nouns are fine, but we are predatory. We, we are a living process, and so is the whole planet. And to think otherwise is to live in a delusion about reality. And we, the earth right now, is sending us our retribution. The consequence of our thought, of our speech, and our behaviors about the planet itself. The fires and the water and the winds, every element is trying to communicate to us. Every element, I know that you love to work with nature and to emphasize that we are part of nature, that we are not separate from mm -hmm. this earth, nor are we separate from one another. Uh, right. there, there is no separation. But we fragment ourselves. We live in a kind of fragmentation or fragmented world. Do you mention that that uh, there is no separation between America's karma and America's racial karma? So right. that it's all like of a piece together. Um, any any thoughts on that? Well, and well, this is a good segue into retribution because. Um, the response, both what happened to George Floyd and the casual way in which it occurred uh, and the response to it, both here and around the world, is an acknowledgement that many of us no longer will live unconscious to the retribution, the consequence of racialized conscience. And the retribution is on the streets. It's people's reactions, it's reactivity, it's what happened on January 6th. That's all part of the retribution 
of having designed a life that is a fallacy. Well said, well said. And I, I want to go more deeply into that because that's that's where we are right now, uh, living in a, I think, a culture of retribution right now. And that's um, a difficult place to be. I, I want to remind our listeners, I'm here with Dr. Larry Ward. He's the author of America's Racial Karma, An Invitation to Heal. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. I'm here with Dr. Larry Ward, and he's the author of America's Racial Karma. And and we were talking about retribution, and we're talking about where we are right now in this very divisive culture. No sense of what I think Dr. Martin Luther King called the beloved community, or uh, the Buddhists would call the Sangha. Uh, and I know that in your practice, you take us deeper, deeper. It's not just um, being aware of the death of George Floyd, which was just just horrific, just horrific. And many, many hundreds of thousands of people were awakened in that moment. But there's more work to do, and that's what you're about. There's more work to do in order to really come to completion, to to erase this um, karma or to change the trajectory of the karma of a racialized consciousness. How can we go deeper then into correcting what is happening and the divisiveness that it's uh, that's occurring well i, I think um, there are at least three ways and many many more i'm sure but one is our own individual work um which is learning to come to use carl jung it's learning to come home to our whole self shadow and all and uh, learning to come home and recognize what seeds in us have been activated, uh, which ones are wholesome, which ones are not, which ones lead toward suffering, which ones lead toward justice and peace and caring. And so there's a whole individual level understanding our nervous system, our body and trauma and how to live a resilient life. The second thing is more complicated because it's a collective. And we really, in, in most places around the world, we don't really have a modern way of understanding collective consciousness. I mean, I know there's new work being done, which I, I applaud on understanding sociology connected to biology. So that's part of what I'm trying to say is that our sociology or our society structures collectively and systemically, which is the third part, are deeply rooted in our nervous system patterns. 
And our nervous system patterns have been conditioned by what in Buddhism is sometimes called the self-esteem complex. And the self-esteem complex is the complex back to the racial hierarchy, to use it as an example, is the thought and the speech and the behavior of better than, worse than, or the same as. Each one of us and each, each manifestation of a human life is a is almost indescribable. Um, and to, to the tragedy of reducing it down to um, skin tone is uh, contradictory to everything we know about genetics, et cetera, and the human species is, uh, if it wasn't so tragic, it'd be laughable. So the work, of learning to develop a spiritual practice, a contemplative practice where you, where I learn every day, I spend time in nature. So everything I want to talk about, I do. I apply every day in my life. Um, and so I spend time before I get out of bed remembering some basic facts about life. So I'm not confused when I put my feet on the floor. And I mentioned this also in the book. So I have a morning practice that in Buddhism is called the five remembrances. I remember I'm growing old and I can't escape that. I remember I can, I'm vulnerable physically and mentally and I can't escape that. I remember I'm going to die. I can't escape that. I remember everything I love and everything I cherish will change. And I can't escape the experience of loss. And the fifth thing I remember is I am not a victim to aging, to vulnerability, to death, or to loss. I can practice and create a life that can embrace these with honor and wisdom and compassion. And I've done this practice for many, many years. And a few years ago, I realized it wasn't just about me. <laughs> I, I realized, you know, we have a seven and a half year old dog here today. And he's in his last stage of life. And I, I was able to see all those remembrances in his life. His aging, his vulnerability, his, his soon to be passing away. Uh, the loss of it for myself, my wife, and for the dog. Um, and what's amazing about nature and why for me it's such a refuge is I've watched Charlie, our little Bichon, adapt, adapt, just change how he does things to accommodate his experience. And for me, the great danger in human, our human species at this moment is our capacity to adapt. I think the lesson from the virus, if there, there's many people have described it, one of them is we must learn to adapt to survive. Which is, is one thing the virus is trying to teach us if we pay attention. We cannot continue to do, be, and know what we have been so comfortable with for many of us. And whether that comfort is the comfort of being poor, being lost, 
being afraid all the time or that comfort is in being able to have whatever pleasure you think you want, we're still caught in a system that trains us to think, perceive this as normal. This is not normal. Millions of people are dying all over the planet. This is not normal. And it's an opportunity to learn, to adapt individually, collectively, and systemically. We have to look at every system planet-wide, which is inherited colonial patterns that are revealing their, of course, always reveal, but revealing their deep inadequacy in caring for human beings. Yes, really, uh, truly, uh, the virus has has caused us to, as a collective, slowing down for a moment and taking in, maybe not just rushing around as we've been doing for so many decades now. Um, When you talk about adapting and becoming aware of our own internal processes and feelings and, and things that we have embodied throughout our lives and been taught, you have some questions that I just love these questions that that you ask of yourself. And I think that these are very informative for all of us. And these questions are things like, um, if I give this seed, if I give it more energy, where will it take me? Or will this lead to wholesomeness in or wholeness in myself and society, or will this lead to a safer society or a more meaningful, sustainable life for me or for others? I I love this, like that pause to say, oh, wait, before I take this action, what will this action really ha- having us stop for a moment and say, what if? Uh, and to see if that's going to um, change our action. Well, that's the, the retribution is the, can be wholesome and unwholesome at the same time, um, which we've been experiencing, especially uh, in the last 18 months. But the bridge, the gap between retribution, the next step is continuation, which follows up on your questions. So I, I, I see what's happening in my world. My perception is starting to change about what's important, what has meaning, what has real value for the brief human lives we have together. And do I want to continue that pattern? And the continuation happens by how we think how we speak, the language we use every day about ourselves and each other. And that pattern continues in how we physically interact with the world. Exactly. Yes. Yes. So stopping and, and uh, this also reminds me when, when you talk about continuation, um, this reminds me of the, the work you talk about the work of grief in, in our culture, and that we have not paused very often to really, really deeply grieve how 
our culture has manifested in this racialized consciousness. I, I know you have something to say about this. Well, the, my most recent thoughts about this uh, uh, come from my, my grounding connection, African-American community in particular. But if we look deeply at that, we can see the whole um, of ourselves. And the word I've been using most recently is melancholy mm. to describe what you've just been saying with the changes and sorrow and finding children's bodies in the ground from indigenous schools and mass shootings. I mean, you can go down the list in addition to COVID, in addition to flooding, in addition to fire, and our nervous systems are fried. We are cooked in some level uh, because our nervous system by, via evolution, we're, we're, especially the autonomic nervous system, was not designed to be on hypervigilance 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Our nervous system, especially in terms of survival responses, is, is designed for a quick response to, to be safe, to survive. And in our current state in the world, we're all in a constant state of hyper-survival. And agitation. Yes. And in that state, we cannot hear one another. In that state, we, don't har we hardly know what we actually said. You know, you can remember if you, whether it's parents or a partner or a marriage or some relationship and you have an argument, and you get emotionally and biologically, somatically activated, who can remember what they actually said? Right. Nobody. Yes. And so this, this uh, lack of education about who our bodies, for me, is one of the biggest contradictions we face. Exactly. I I want to remind our listeners, I'm here with Dr. Larry Ward, and he's the author of America's Racial Karma, An Invitation to Heal. And if you want to know more about his work, you can go to his website, thelotusinstitute.org, or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. I'm here with Dr. Larry Ward, and we're talking about America's racial karma, which is the title of his 
book. And, um, you know, we're talking about the practices that we could do also, you know, to become aware, to become more aware of our reactivity and to be less reactive and more considered in our speech and our actions. And I know one of the things that I love about your practice, besides having a mindful practice when you wake up and you go through some mindful exercises, you talk about one thing that you do each day is you go outside and you sit outside in nature and the hear the sounds of the world outside. So please tell us what that's like for you. Well, yes, it's a, it's a daily practice of mine. And so I've been listening to the sounds of the world, seeing the presence of um, other beings. We have hummingbirds here who Every every now and then will come right to my face. <laughs> uh, and bees and we have uh, geckos and we have hawks, red-tailed hawks. We have great pine trees. We can still smell the ocean breeze. And the thing I really learned to appreciate about nature is it is non-judgmental. Mm. That's what I learned many, many years ago throughout my life with just sitting with my back on a tree. And I told people once, I've never had a tree reject me. <laughs> yes. Because of my height, my skin tone, where I grew up, or any of, any of the labels we make up for ourselves as human beings. And every morning, I also, after the back patio, which is quite small, but full of flowers and plants, I go to the front little patio where we have succulents. This morning we did pick up a snail because they like succulents. But <laughs> <laughs> what I noticed was the similarity between a snail's response to threat and our own evolutionary human response to threat is uh, fundamentally the same. When I come out of the door, the closer I get to the snail, it goes back in the shell. Mm. It hides to survive. Mm -hmm. And so many of us around race are immobilized. We are frozen. We are hiding from dealing with this so obviously painful and redemptive. And, and you know, part of this is that you, you have to want to be redeemed. You have to desire to be repaired. And, and for me, that's crucial. The second thing I've noticed, and we have pumas and rattlesnakes and things here in California, in Southern California, in the, the general area in which we live. And there's a person who every day sends out an update to all our condo members of what creatures were roaming through the neighborhood in the night. It's amazing. Wow. Thich Hans language, I, I try to touch the wonders of life every day. I try to have an experience of being amazed, of being awestruck, of being humbled, and then sitting with that, not just walking by it and having it as a snapshot, but sitting with the snail for a moment, sitting with the hummingbird, sitting with the plants and the flowers and the sun and the moon, and 
other kinds of exercises I create for myself for day and night. So that I, I keep staying in touch with the fact that I have a precious human life. Oh, beautiful, beautiful. Thank you so much. Uh, you know, I want to go back to something that we talked briefly about, um, about going deeply into our storehouse of thoughts and feelings and memories uh, about race. And I, I, I know for me, things really started to change. I started to uh, have a deeper dialogue with people of like, I would belong to a circle and we've been meeting for 20 years and this circle is mostly white women, mm. one uh, Asian woman and one black woman. And our dear black woman just hung in there with us for quite a few years until one circle, she had enough and said, look, let's talk about the elephant in the room here. And um, so she started a conversation with us about when we first became aware of race and and differences in some way and where where it all began and i think that in in your book and in your work you have like a wonderful list of questions that i think can really serve if we are in a safe place to speak to one another. And I'm doing this now in several interracial groups. Um, Great. Uh, so we, we do this on a monthly and even weekly basis. So some of the questions that you put out is, um, when did you first notice differences in people's looks? Mm-hmm. You know, and going back to going back to those early origins of where we started to make decisions about things and and uh, what phrases do you use to describe racial differences these are wonderful questions larry that that you're giving us to to really explore this internal state that that we're unaware of and bringing it to consciousness so that we can bridge that divide in which we live? Well, a piece of this is that you remind me of as you speak is one of the primary ways human beings learn is through imitation. And so uh, part of this is wanting to fit in, wanting to belong, uh, wanting to not be ostracized, wanting to not be shunned. And these are all deeply rooted seeds in the Western psyche and in the human psyche, but especially in the Western psyche here in the US. And no one wants to be uh, left out of the mainstream momentum. And whether it's for good or for ill, and you know, people have written about how crowds uh, can go crazy lose their minds, so can civilizations, so can whole societies literally go insane in their worst own interest. I think Eckhart Tolle really talks about this, about uh, we're in an insane society. The whole society is insane, insanity. We are, and we are for a good reason. 
um, for me, I'm working on a poem about this, but we experience ourselves as insane, not because something's wrong with us. We experience ourselves as insane because something is right with us. At some level, we all know this is ridiculous. And we shouldn't be living this way, where we ignore harm, we ignore death, and we ignore innocent suffering. If some part of us somewhere knows we are connected, as you said earlier, we are connected in ways in which we cannot even have language for. And so this, we know this. And our insanity comes from living in, having created for ourselves a social, economic, political framework that ignores that, punishes us for acting like that. You know, you're not supposed to care about the, about the, the fires in Turkey burning now. You're not supposed to care about the volcano in Indonesia that just went off or the other places in the world or care about I'm thinking of my Japanese friends uh, now in particular, and they're, they're, they're discontent with the Olympic model, which is a corporate model, of course. Yes. And um, so, I mean, we are across this world, not only the earth elements are waking up, but the human elements of earth in us are waking up. Well, may it be so, may it be so that they, and I think the Dalai Lama has talked about uh, that reaction that we have towards what you call this innocent suffering, that, that, that reaction that we have, this is a good thing. If we're not reacting to that anymore, then we are truly in trouble. We're truly yeah. living in a total numbness and denial. Yeah. Right. And so we're not quite there yet. And that's the good news, wouldn't you say? Well, yeah, for, for me, the good news is there's growing numbers of us who realize we're not there yet. Yes, yes. And more yes. work is to be done. More work is to be done. But that's always the case. If we understand human history, there's always more to be done. This is what I mean. This is what evolution requires of us. Yes. Not only to survive, but to adapt. So in native terms, the next seven generations can survive. And exactly. that is not happening now. Exactly. Exactly. Oh, Dr. Ward, I just want to thank you so much for being with us today. You've given us a, a rich feast to, to really feed on and to nourish ourselves with. Thank you so much. Thank you, the indication, Justine. I've been, thank you. I've been speaking with Dr. Larry Ward, and he is the author of America's Racial Karma, An Invitation to Heal. And if you want to know more about his work, you can go to the website, thelotusinstitute.org, thelotusinstitute.org. Or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You've been listening to New Dimensions. This is program number 3,738. New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. 
You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. You can also subscribe to our free weekly podcasts and find over a thousand hours of audio dialogues in our searchable archive. New Dimensions is produced by New Dimensions Radio in Santa Rosa, California, USA. Our executive producer is Justine Willis-Toms. Our post-production editor is Lou Judson. For over four decades, New Dimensions has been producing weekly conversations at the leading edge. We sincerely thank all of you who have supported us by being members of Friends of New Dimensions as well as members of our affiliate stations. My name is Dan Drayson. On behalf of everyone at New Dimensions whose endeavors make this program possible, I'm wishing you well. New Dimensions Radio is an independent producer supported by listener contributions. To find out more about the program you've just heard, to subscribe to our free weekly newsletter and our New Dimensions and New Dimensions Cafe podcasts, and to access thousands of other programs in the New Dimensions archive, please visit our website, newdimensions.org. That's newdimensions.org. Or call us at 707-468-5215. That's 707-468-5215. Please join us next time as we explore New Dimensions. Thank you.